1: Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to keepitfunohio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's very
0: difficult to keep the line between the past
1: and the present. you believe that someone out of the past... Enter and take possession of a living being. We may be through with the past, but the past is not through
0: with us. Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, which is usually a Movie of the Week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it's shaped our thoughts on a recent release. But we're breaking from format in order to do our top 10 movies of the year. This is part two of our top 10 movies of the year discussion, and I'm here with
1: Keith Phipps and Scott Tobias.
0: To run down the movies that we loved this year, the movies that challenged us and excited us, and uh, maybe got us to theaters, or maybe didn't get us to theaters, depending on whether it was even playing in theaters and uh, under what circumstances. Our producer Genevieve is uh, sitting at home with a gigantic stack of uh, movies that she still has to get through, and she will be joining us again on a future episode. So we talked a little bit about sort of the the difficulty of figuring out when exactly a movie came out. I kind of had that trouble, I've got to say, with with licorice pizza, which I saw at a critics screening like a month before release. And then it just seems like it dribbled into maybe two new theaters a week for like two months. It feels like it's still in the very beginning of first release now. And under those circumstances, it can be very difficult to make it even to movies that are being critically celebrated out of Sundance or or Cannes or Toronto or, or wherever it is. It can be hard to catch even the movies that we we most want to see when we get a pile of 400 screening links and screeners at the very end of the year. So we wanted to kind of start off uh, this half, this top half of our top 10 list by just giving a, a little mention to uh, movies that we really, really wish we had been able to make time for and haven't gotten to yet. We'll probably get to just immediately after this, this episode. I, for one, can say I was literally an hour into drive my car. <laughs> you got two more to go. I was, yeah, I know it's a, a three hour film again, highly celebrated. I uh, was very excited to watch it. had my day heavily interrupted by a issue with utilities and uh, utilities, people coming and going and just wasn't able to finish it. But that's a movie that I, I really wanted to finish out. Maybe the other biggest regret on my list is not getting to Pablo, Lorraine's Spencer. Which has been very, very high on my to watch list for a long time now. I'm still very much looking forward to seeing it and I just was not able to fit it in. Sometimes there aren't enough hours in the day. Uh, What about you guys? What what tops your I still really want to see this and I regret not seeing it before this show uh, list right now?
2: There are a bunch. I mean, I, I mentioned Tick, Tick, Boom. I have not seen Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy yet as much as I liked the other film we made this year, which we we'll, might talk about at some point. But uh, Souvenir Part 2 is a big one. But I, I guess the one that really fell the cracks for me was Petit Paman, the new film from uh, Celine Siyama who did uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which was, you know, where did it play in 2021? I don't think it played anywhere in 2021,
0: but it was. Nope. It, it, it or, hasn't you opened know, yet. Right, I probably played one theater in Brooklyn for a week to yeah. qualify. Yeah, Petit uh, Mama and Parallel Mothers, the new full-length El Motivar, have both been like heavily featured on some critics' lists and some mm-hmm. critics' societies list, but neither of them is actually going to open in theatrical release in the U.S. until February. This is people seeing qualifying screeners or yeah. uh, screenings, and it's kind of regrettable. But at the same time, I feel like, it almost just doesn't feel cromulent to discuss these movies at any length before most of the people we're talking to are going to be able to see them in any form. This is an issue that
2: we're going to get into pretty quickly. There's another big film that did not make my top 10, but it made my uh, honorable mentions that also isn't going to get released until next year. So I don't know. It, it's, it's weird, but I, I it's 72 minutes long. I got a screener. I'll, I'll go knock that off uh, pretty soon. Petit Maman. Scott, how about you?
1: Yeah, so uh, I I thought that this we were recording a day uh, later than we ended up recording (laughs) because I was planning to also see two films, uh, Petite Mama and A Hero, which is the new film by Oscar Fahadi. Oh, yeah. Uh, These are two filmmakers whose work have been very, very high on best of lists I've written in the past. So I anticipated that they would be very strong contenders for mine this year. And I just, this is just. Me being a Gibbet on those fronts. I also haven't seen the uh, the Almodovar film Parallel Mothers, and Flea is is another huge regret. Again, I, I could catch these pretty quickly. You know, Flea and Petite My mom, very short movies, and it's it's likely I will see them by the time you're hearing this. We'll we will have released our our best of choices on the reveal newsletter. And I will definitely have seen those films before I write that up. So maybe that my list will be different. Maybe those there'll be some disparities between those lists. So we'll see.
0: Well, fortunately, uh, the best movies that came out last year is always a moving target, is always an updatable sort of thing. And also, perhaps fortunately, or perhaps unfortunately, January and February tends to be pretty slow for high quality new releases that aren't already movies that have just been kind of like slowly dripping out over the past uh, couple months of qualifiers. So while there are some great, the great things coming out uh, over the next couple of months, many of them are things that we might have a chance to discuss on the show and and go into in some depth. Uh, We definitely have been talking about Parallel Mothers as an opportunity for that. We'll see if that comes together. In the meantime, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back with movies that we did actually see, and uh, movies that did actually make our list or at least the current iterations of our list uh, and we'll be back with that in just one moment all right y'all here we are heading into the uh bottom half the top half uh, i don't top even... half I don't need the bottom
1: half of the bottom part of the top half.
0: It's like figuring out which (laughs) year you're talking about the Oscars were the ones that we had this year, the 2020 Oscars, because they were about 2020 films or the 2021 Oscars because they took place in 2021. It's always a complication. We're going to get into the bottom or top half, uh, depending on how you count numbers. Start with Scott. Scott, what is your number five movie of 2021?
1: Uh, my number five uh, movie is Red Rocket, uh, the the new film by Sean Baker. Uh, Sean Baker, who had done Tangerine, who had done uh, the Florida Project and, and Starlet. Um, this was, you know, I saw this movie first with a, with an audience. with a With the it was the closing night film of the Chicago Critics Festival. It played to a pretty full house, and it was great, of course, to just be in an audience for a comedy to experience, especially a, a comedy this. Dangerous and, and edgy and and uh, raucous and kind of like a sort of a shaggy dog of a story that feels out of control, but also like Sean Baker knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, this, is, this is a film that stars Simon Rex as a guy who. Sweet talks, I guess, his way back into the lives of his wife, his estranged wife and mother-in-law in in Texas City, Texas. And uh, we discover early on that he... Has been in Hollywood working as a porn star, uh, which makes him difficult to employ. Well, I should even stop right there because this is not even a you know to talk about all the things that he 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 does to kind of reestablish himself in this town. That would give away too much of the of the movie. Uh, but suffice to say, this is a film that takes place during the donald trump hillary clinton election or the lead up to that election and you see there's some of that in the background and this is a very much a film about america and it's particularly about america's attraction to smooth talking grifters <laughs> who are able to charm and deceive the people they come into contact with with so so there's a lot of parallels of course between Simon Rex's actions in this film and, you know, Trumpism in general. And of course that's kind of the, you know, subtext of this movie, but the text is so much fun. I just, I had a great time watching this, this film. And, uh, you know, even though it's, you know, obviously quite uncomfortable, um, particularly this relationship that he has with, with an underage, teenager who works as a clerk at a donut shop and uh he has a r- romantic relationship that all is predatory in more ways than you might actually expect but again it's something that baker manages really well tone wise i don't know i had a great time with this film i laughed more at it and i've, I've thought a lot about it and uh yeah i loved it number five uh, red rocket
2: Leave some gaps in your resume, uh, when you are a porn star for, for over a decade, right?
1: (laughs) For sure.
0: (laughs) Uh, Wow, both of you just like said that with, with such, um, I don't know, uh, confidence as if, uh, you had experience (laughs) in it. I've never seen either of your resumes, so. mm.
2: Fair enough. Uh, well, my number five is a film we just got done talking about, not Red Rocket, which I liked, but it's not not in my top ten. But it's uh, Parallel Mothers, the Almodovar film, which I have seen somehow, uh, and I and I, I've, boy, it's really good, <laughs> guys. I mean, I'm 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 an admirer of Almodovar uh, in, in general, but uh, uh, there's a, there's a it's a very high. Floor, I believe, with, with his work, and I, I think, you know, I always kind of feel like I think I just saw one of his best movies. I thought *Pain and Glory* is like semi-autobiographical film starring uh, Antonio Banderas was was one of his best films. But this is a this is a maybe a next level one for him. It's it's uh it's you know if, it, if I describe it, it's going to sound like a really wild melodrama. If I describe the plot, so just, I'm not going to go into too much detail. But it, it stars Penelope Cruz and Melina Smeet, uh as as two single mothers at different stages in their life and their lives kind of, well, they run kind of parallel to each other, you might, might say, for, for a while in some ways. But there's another sort of parallelism here, which is playing out against the context of Spanish history and, and in the early days of the Spanish Civil War and what happens with lies. How, how, do, how does a lie r- ripple out into the world? Uh, Where does you know What happens to the truth when it's, when it's been uh, literally and figuratively covered up? And uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, I feel like I'm going to say too much about this film, uh, suffice it to say, it, it, all the pleasures you expect from Almodovar—from uh, beautiful colors to the vivid performances—are are all there. Uh, I think it's it's just you know sometimes it comes together better than others for Almodovar. This is one of the really good ones. Also, Penelope Cruz, man, you know th- that is what a collaboration. Like you know when you think of Almodovar's famous collaborations, you think of, of Carmen Mora for, first of all, Antonio Banderas, but they've done eight films together, and, and I don't I'm not sure. She's never given the same performance twice in one of his films, and uh, it's, just, it's such an exciting to see them working together again. So maybe you can't see it quite yet, but when you can see it, do seek this one out. Tasha, uh, what about you?
0: Well, I'm really looking forward to both watching Parallel Mothers and uh, hopefully digging into it on the show at some point. My number five is a movie that I talked about very recently on the show as a Your Next Picture show recommendation. And uh, that is the film uh, Kovatis Aida, the Bosnian war film about a massacre of Bosnian civilians by Serbian forces and the UN's, uh let's just say, failure to prevent it. It's a movie that really makes you feel the the weight of... The difficulty of standing up for other people, especially when your own safety is on the line. It's a movie that really makes you feel the desperation of people who know they're being lied to by their leadership. There's a lot of ways in which it uh, resonates uh, today, but it's also a very living history a surprisingly and painfully recent history, in fact. And uh, watching it not only drew me into a world I did not know that I wanted to be in, um, but just mesmerized me while I was there. The writer-director, Jasmila Zabonik, and the stars, the top-line cast of this movie, all just do tremendous work. It's, uh, It's very vivid. It's very intense. And it's surprisingly easy to watch for such a difficult movie, for such difficult material, because it... It draws you along and draws you into this world so vividly. I've already said a lot about it, so I'm not going to say much more about it here. You talked about it as well. I believe Scott was also a fan. Very much so. So, uh, yeah, uh, Quo Saída recommended it very recently. Still highly recommend it. It's my number five. Scott, what's number four for you?
1: Uh, My number four is Pig, uh, which... Tasha is a fan of, as we we know from the first half of this podcast, Uh, you know, I think we've already kind of gone over what it is, but I almost feel like if you don't know, it's a fun one to find out, you know, to find out exactly what Nicholas Cage's character, to find out who he is really. And then what kind of journey he goes on as he seeks out this, whoever kidnapped this truffle pig of his, because, I can tell you that you will not guess <laughs> <laughs> what it is uh, at all. And 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 what was also exciting about the film is that not only did I could I not guess where it was going, um, where it went to me was so surprising and and weird and except and touching and um, uh, beautiful. And it's got a wonderful uh, Nicholas Cage performance. Is just. Stunning. I mean, I, I, I'm already a fan, uh, as is, I think, Keith Thipps. <laughs> uh, have you seen the films of Nicholas Cage's? I, I've
2: <laughs> seen a few of them here and there. Yeah, yes. so
1: I, he's, seen, he's seen some of the ones. He's com, a completist, I think I would describe. Keith is as a Nicolas Cage completist. So yeah, I uh, I really love this movie. I, I can't uh, uh, can't recommend it enough. And it's just it uh, I I it was the, uh, number one on my list for so long, and then and then I just got hit one after another by just some absurdly great movies that I guess you'll hear about later in the show. But uh, this one I really love, and this is kind of in that upper echelon. My four through one are our films that I really think are are masterpieces. or are, are close to it. So Pig is my number four.
0: So uh, just out of curiosity, since there's always someone who is uh, not up on the, the latest memo, is there any particular reason, Scott Tobias, that you're uh, teasing Keith about Nicolas Cage and his watching of Nicolas Cage films or thinking he might be a completist?
1: Uh, well, I think there's a hotly anticipated new book <laughs> on, on the actor Nicolas Cage that's written by, you know, uh, someone I'm in contact in uh, once, uh, once in a while. Uh, Keith, do you know anything about this? Would that person
0: this? be Keith Phipps,
1: in fact?
2: Oh, it man, is. I'm going to plug this book so much when when it gets closer to release. And I, 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 I will refrain from plugging it too much now. But uh, I did write a book. I mean, we don't have to, to go overboard on plugging
0: it. But, uh, you know, I, I do think that making the joke explicit uh, once in a while is a good idea, as opposed to uh, assuming that everybody remembers why exactly Keith Phipps has watched every Nicolas Cage film recently. <laughs> yeah
1: what a What a strange thing to do.
0: Before we move on, it is available
2: for pre-order now, and it will be in stores March twenty ninth. It's called Age of Cage: Four Decades of Hollywood Through One Singular Career. There you go. That's all. That's, <laughs> that's in the pl- pl- end amazing. plug.
0: I love that, and I I particularly think that the more times you say that, the more polished and perfect it's going to be. So uh, there's there's no reason to not be launching into it now.
1: Uh, Keith, what what is your number four?
0: Uh, my number
2: four is a film called West Side Story by a young up and cover <laughs> named Steven Spielberg. Uh, I thought it was a magnificent uh, revisiting of, of that material. Uh, that's respectful of both the the original film and and the you know the cast version, the cast album everyone knows so well, uh, but updating it in ways that make it uh, makes its connection to what's going on now clear without being t- too heavily underlined. But I think most importantly, it's just Spielberg musical. I mean, it's, it's a real piece of filmmaking. Just every shot counts. There's all the, the action is remarkable. Uh, I think, you know, the one detail that someone uh, else pointed out somewhere is the scene where they go to the auditorium and the dance is already in progress, which you just see through this like narrow sliver of a doorway. But you realize, if you think about it, you realize like all the effort that went into just... Staging the choreography for this thing, this what ends up being a tiny detail where you have all these people having to dance just for a half second in in the shot in the scene in the in the film. Uh, I mean, just but that kind of that effort really pays off. I mean, it's, it's just. You know, I loved it. I can't wait to, I can't wait to see this one again. I am somewhat baffled that more people didn't go see it in the theater. But I guess you know, we are living kind of baffling times in terms of what people go see in theater. But uh, if you haven't seen West Side Story yet, do try to catch it on the big screen while you can.
0: You know, I went into that movie, as has been documented previously, with such hostility because the trailers made it look so much like he was just kind of doing a unimaginative shot-for-shot shot remake. And it won me over with the first sequence. I, it, I, it did not make my top ten list. I'll, I'll spoil that right now. But that was because it was a very competitive year with a, a great deal going on. But I will say I I had a really fabulous time with it. I was astonished at some of the things that he chooses to do, making big, bold decisions about recontextualizing segments of the movie and just re-envisioning how some of the, the character dynamics work. I continue to not necessarily think Ansel Elgort is uh, the most charismatic Tony,
2: but so he's a weak—he's a weak link in that. He's movie. a weak link
0: in right. a real strong chain, is the thing.
2: Yeah, if if Tony's weak, uh, Maria by Rich, Rachel Zegler—that's a remarkable performance from someone I think will be seen. Will be seen. Will be seen more of that kid.
0: Yeah, and I definitely hope to see a, a great deal more of uh, Mike Faced as as Riff. Yeah. Just overall the. Um, the cinematography, the choreography, the the vividness, the music. I really appreciated that they didn't take the beauty and the beast approach here uh, with the adaptation and, and feel like they could jam a bunch of sort of extra phrases into very, very familiar songs. The the songs just felt perfect in terms of it's the music I remember, it's the beats and rhythm and pacing that made me love these songs. It's just newly reimagined versions of them. So, yeah, I did not expect to be a booster for this movie, but I'm right there with you in terms of I really hope that people get a chance after the the Spider-Man boom that has taken over most theaters uh, dies down a bit. I I do hope that people have a chance to catch this one in the theater because it's such a widescreen designed experience.
1: It surely is. It's a bummer that more have not. But, um, you know. It's a movie that will stand the test of time. I believe that the works of Steven Spielberg <laughs> and Tony Kushner will be of <laughs> historic interest. So uh, we'll see how, how many people 50 years from now watch it instead of Spider-Man. I would say quite a few.
0: Why not watch both? Just not ah, at the same time. It. Not on the same screen. No. Do, bad just bad just bad. don't do it. We know it's tempting, but we really don't think you should.
2: Uh, Tasha, do you have a number four? I do. Or you just get number I, four? I do, in oh, fact, okay.
0: have a number four. And it's another movie that I've a big upped several times on the show because of, you know, it's it's varied release. I, I talked about it when it hit theaters. I talked about when it hit home video. I still would, would very much love to do a, a pairing with it, which there might be excuse for in January because it's coming out in yet another format. That is Edson Oda's directorial debut Nine Days, which is very much a companion film for Coriida's movie Afterlife about uh, the bureaucracy that processes people after they die. Nine Days is about the bureaucracy that processes people in order for them to get born. And it stars uh, Black Panther's Winston Duke as a very artistic-minded bureaucrat whose job is interviewing prospective souls and deciding who he wants to, to send down to Earth. There's a lot of buy-in for this movie. It's it's essentially a fantasy movie. It's also essentially a philosophical movie, kind of centering on people like Zazie Beetz and Tony Hale and Bill Skarsgård, of all people, if you <laughs> think of him at this point as uh, Pennywise the Clown, maybe a little odd to see him essentially defending and debating the meaning of life uh with
2: with Winston Duke now to clarify though he does he is not in clown makeup in this film he right?
0: is oh gosh it's been a little while since I saw it because I saw it in Sundance 2019 um no no he is not in the Pennywise okay. makeup at this time okay thanks it's one of those just like really quirky again auteur driven vision driven uh kind of movies that's you know, you, you just you have to accept that in order to be born on Earth, you've got to pass an interview process mm-hmm. uh, to see whether you've got skills that are, are actually going to in some way enhance the planet. It's an interesting companion film for Pixar's soul in a way, but much more so seems to just take place in the same universe as Afterlife in terms of philosophy, in terms of vision, in terms of whatever is running this strange universe where everything is run by broken down bureaucracies. But I just really loved this movie's take on what it means to be human, its particular take on a very specific form of making art by putting people in the world. A very specific take on what it means to form attachments to people. It actually parallels the double life of Veronique in a handful of ways. I just get the feeling that Oda is a big time cinephile who's, you know, as with so many people who managed to make their first film, it's just like throwing up things that he loves on the screen, but in combinations I've never seen before with a, a clarity of vision that I really admire. I love the hell out of this film. I have loved the hell out of this film for, for several years now, and I will continue to recommend that people make time to see this strange little oddball movie about what happens before you're born. So Nine Days, it's out there in uh, various ways, various means, and various formats at long last. Scott, that brings us to number three. What's your number three?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so my uh, number three is Memoria. Uh, speaking of films that are not the easiest to see in a theater, because uh, <laughs> it only really, op- it of course, surprised many people with its release strategy, which uh, uh, Neon is putting it out, and they're putting it out one city at a time. Um, and they're doing it very slowly and potentially endlessly, though, though obviously they won't do it endlessly. It will come, well, people will see it eventually, but uh, at a time when when folks expect access to films right away, if not simultaneous to theaters, then close to simultaneous to theaters, this is kind of a radical departure from that. But of course, I, my, I'm being a critic. I, I got it in the same, you know, neon boxes a lot of other critics, so I was able to see it at home, and it was the first. Film of its director, Pitcher Pong, was cool that I have seen at, at home, other than Mysterious Object at Noon. I've seen all of his other movies uh, Tropical Malady, Uncle Boon Me, Who Can Recall His Past Lives, Cemetery of Splendor, uh, etc. I've seen all those in, in film festivals in, in the theaters, and in theaters, and to me, that it's such an essential part of seeing his movies is to be on their very unique wavelength because i you know if you're asking me to describe memoria i mean i i'll try i mean i could s- t- give you a, v- a basic premise which is that tilda swinton uh is in columbia and she hears this weird noise uh this weird sound in the middle of the night and she hears it at other points and uh she investigates what that sounds all about <laughs> and you know and that's the movie and, and you eventually kind of th- figure out find the source but it's about this investigation and, and where it leads her and um, you know it, it's hard for me to even articulate what the philosophy of the film is really it's just a feeling and uh, you know you know a pitch or where Seth Akul's work sort of straddles that line between narrative films and experimental films or traditional narrative films and experimental films and, you know, they wouldn't be all that out of place in a museum. Uh, they certainly aren't out of place. It, you know, it, it feels like this release strategy is actually quite well suited to the type of movie that it is. Because I, as much as I tried to duplicate the, the, the being in a theater when I was at watching it at home, you know, I really look forward to seeing it projected and just being kind of in his world again. So that's all I'm going to say about it. It's Memoria is going to trickle, trickle, trickle. Around to hopefully to a city or a theater near you, and obviously it's you know highly worth seeking out. It's one of, one of my favorites of his films, and I, I do like his work. So, uh, memoria number three, Keith. What is your number three?
2: Mine is a film I think we'll probably be hearing about again later in this show. It's called uh, Drive by Car uh, by Risuki Hamaguchi, who we talked about on the first half of the show when Scott picked uh, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, which I still need to seek out. Uh, Hamaguchi was sort of new to me uh, this year, as I think he was new to... Uh, quite a few people. Uh, This is a completely gripping slow-paced three-hour adaptation of a short story by uh, Haruki Murakami. Uh, It stars Hidotashi Nishijima as a a theatrical director who uh, is known for doing experimental works um, primarily uh staging uh plays like uh, waiting for godot and uncle Vadia in several with actors of several different languages uh which is a really fascinating thing to see staged here and it certainly connects also thematically to what's going on in this film which is about the in some ways the difficulty of connections but also the way some feelings are universal. I'm being really vague about this because it is, um, it's 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 you know plot wise, it's, it's quite simple. But I don't want to spoil some things that happen in it. But it is it, much of the film is based around a staging of Uncle Vanya in Hiroshima, where um, uh, Nishijima's character is not allowed to drive, uh, you know, for just uh, insurance purposes, and and he is chosen to stay fairly far away from the facility that is putting on the play. So he is given a driver play by Masaki Akata. And slowly over the course of the film, they they form a connection despite seemingly having uh, nothing in common in the nature of what that is and what it means to each of them. is kind of unfolded a little bit, not even entirely, I think by the end of the film, uh, but but over the course of the film. It, it is, um, you know, stylistically, it's really Gripping uh, in a, in a strange way. Uh, every gesture matters here, and it's also in passages quite funny. I, I you know it's it's a it's a tough one to kind of uh describe in capsule form. I think you know if you get a chance to see it, please please go see it. I I like this one a lot. tasha have you seen this one yet? Is this, or is this on your list? It was on my list
0: of shame. It was the one that I was yeah, literally yeah, right. watching today, and uh, oh, couldn't right, get through right, the whole right. three yeah. hours due to shenanigans. Yeah.
2: Well, we're we'll, we're gonna wind this up early so you can go finish it. Okay,
0: <laughs> you'd have to wind it wind this up real, real early. Uh, given that I've still got a full full length movies worth of movie to get out of that movie, <laughs> um, but I'm very much looking forward to it. I've heard only good things. Uh, what I've seen so far is is very compelling. So I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. What's your number three though? My number three is a movie that you haven't seen, Keith. It is the a Disney animated movie Encanto, of all things. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. was not necessarily expecting this to chart as highly as it did on my on my list, being uh, a Disney animated movie. It's also just a weird year where the, the Pixar animated movie, Luca, uh, it was very pretty, very charming, um, also very low-key and low-stakes. Uh, Encanto, on the other hand, is some pretty high-stakes uh, storytelling for the protagonist, it's a a very emotional story about a fantasy family that all has more or less superpowers. And the one uh, member of the family that does not have superpowers for some strange reason. And from that description, I was expecting, I don't know, something along the order of like Megamind or, or Bolt, you know, one of those animated movies that's fun and memorable, but but doesn't go a whole lot deeper the filmmaking in Encanto uh, is honestly what blew me away the sophistication of the the visuals is just absolutely staggering the story takes place in colombia and as disney has been doing lately they got a bunch of people together and called them the colombian brain trust to talk about Cultural specificity and traditions, and uh, you know, to make sure that they were respecting the the culture that they were drawing from. Um, the writer directors Jared Bush, Byron Howard, and Cherise Castro Smith uh, are drawing from their own culture and their their own specificity. Mostly, gosh, just watching this film, the animation is vivid. The emotions are even more vivid. Just so so intense and so specific in that way that I used to get out of every Pixar movie, that way that used to draw me into stories that Pixar told because I just wasn't used to seeing that particular kind of emotion so nakedly on the screen. Encanto is full of really memorable songs that move the story forward in exciting and and intriguing ways. It's this is a big year for Lin Manuel Miranda, and in this case, uh, he he wrote the songs. So they've got that Hamilton-level density. There's a lot to keep up with. I highly recommend seeing it in a theater for the visuals and then going home and watching it on Disney+, Plus, where it is currently streaming, with the subtitles on, both so you can catch the sheer density of what's going on on screen. And so if you don't happen to be a native Spanish speaker, the Spanish songs, uh, and there are a couple of them, are subtitled in English. And... Getting the meaning of those songs added a whole nother layer to the film that I was not aware of when I saw it for the first time in a theater. Seeing it for the first time in a theater, what hit me was just the vividness of feeling that they get into this story about a girl who feels overshadowed and outshined by all of her family. It's a tremendous companion piece for Pixar's Coco in that it's also about somebody trying to get their grandmother's approval for what makes their life worthwhile and being unable to do so because their vision of life does not match with uh, the grandmother's vision of, of what the family should be. They're very similar stories in some ways and come from kind of strikingly similar cultures. And they're both very much drawn into both the importance of family and the importance of music. But again, just the detail of this movie, there's an opening sequence set to a Miranda song that introduces all of the characters and the protagonist's relationship with them and feeling toward them. Each time I saw the movie, I was just dizzy to try to keep up with the information being offered. The second time I was just watching the clothing and the way the bodies move in this in this dance sequence and the way they they get traditional dance movements into these very complicated things that the characters doing the more i rewatch sequences from it the more I'm just astonished at what a, an act of craft it is, and what a, an overwhelmingly sophisticated movie it is, while still being a movie made for children. Uh, I, I just found this movie astonishing on on so many levels. And Keith, I I hope you catch up with it. I hope having a a daughter who is the exact right age for this movie compels you to both watch it and uh, and watch it with her. And I I hope you appreciate it like I did.
2: Well, the problem is my daughter has already seen it and really liked it. But now, I, you know, whether I can talk her into watching it again with me is the question.
0: I thought kids were super into rewatching things. And in fact, the other father of a daughter exactly her age that I know has already seen the movie a couple times now because uh, she's insisted on rewatching it.
2: Yeah, it depends on the thing. It depends on the day. It depends on her mood. Fair enough. Know. I don't know. <laughs> my well, my it,
1: kids have watched it with your kid again. <laughs> I know. It's just it. <laughs> <laughs> so they that she's in multiple. Hours. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm a fan of that of Encanto as well. And 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 I think you're certainly going to agree with this statement since you have Tick Tick Boom on your list. But it's kind of been a, you know a sneaky great year for Lin Manuel Miranda that many have interpreted as him kind of hitting a wall or something because it's like. What do you talk? It's like he did it in the Heights, uh, which people liked previously, and then he and then tick tick boom and, and, and this Vivo, and it's like
0: the animated movie where he's a a singing kinkajou, which is also a movie.
1: I mean, he's all over the place as a cultural saturation, I, I suppose, but he's not. He's still doing good work, and Encanto's some songs are great in Encanto. I don't know if they're on the level for me uh, as the songs he did for for Moana, uh, but they're real close. I mean, it, it's his, and. Uh, the film's quite moving, and yeah, I think I think it was. I thought it was. It surprised me how much I liked it. Well, yeah.
0: all right, we're gonna also wrap this up early so Keith can go watching Kanto alone <laughs> in a, a dark, sad room yes. because
2: his. <laughs> alone as 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 you know uh, it will probably well probably finish up like around midnight this is ideal viewing conditions for him well
0: <laughs> uh, okay maybe we can just uh take a quick break here for him to watch you know some of the highlights uh, that have been pulled to YouTube we need to take a break regardless so we're going to take a, a short downtime and we'll be back with our top 1 and 2 picks of uh, best movies of 2021 y'all we're getting down to the uh the wire here we're we're running out of slots for your favorite films to fit into but we we gotta press ahead we we gotta cut these things off at the knees and uh just shunt them off into uh honorable mentions which we're gonna do after this scott what is your number two for the year
1: uh my number two is a romanian film called bad luck banging or Looney porn uh this is by a film by radu jude It is, uh, you know, as I've joked, it's a film I watched in uh, my hotel room with my family. Uh, However, they were (laughs) sleeping and uh, they could not see what I was watching Uh, because if they could see what I was watching, they would see that uh, a film that includes a lot of or at least a certain amount of unsimulated sex. So um, not really great for children. And, and if that is something uh, you may not want to experience, then I don't want to tell you it has that in it. Uh, but this is a uh, the, the, the plot of this film is about a teacher who has made a sex tape with her husband that gets inadvertently uploaded to the internet and then Passed around, it um, it it finds its way onto many different sites, including Pornhub, but also also uh, other places where where she is discovered, and then it becomes an issue. It becomes a thing where parents, of course, uh, are made aware of it and wondering, and uh, and a lot of them call for her to be fired. And uh, the the film is is uh, again I I, so, I want to reveal so little about it because the structure of it is so surprising. So that's all I'm going to say about it plot wise because I, I really feel like one of the, I was just so excited where this film went. Uh, it's so lively and such a film that you want to engage with and and argue with and and think about. If it is not quite the best film for me of 2021, it is the most. 2021 film that i saw last year it it is a film in which people are wearing masks or kind of wearing masks or you know it it is a film about that takes place in bucharest but feels like america in so many respects as well it feels like it's about a society that is falling apart is a film that that very boldly criticizes the culture, the history, the institutions of Romania, and what those institutions have yielded in terms of people's points of view and sort of corrupt points of view in in the the film's uh, opinion. And um, I just, I loved it. There's the second section of this movie, again, saying nothing. You, you just, I, I've, I, I can't I've never seen anything like it and it just it, it, and, it, and the whole thing's great too It's, just, I don't know what to say I, I just I loved it I was, it was um, and it's a, a film that I think that if some really really smart filmmaker could Americanize it you could tweak it just a little bit and make it an American film because there's so much similarity between the types of conversations and the types of like connections that are made culturally and historically in the film which we shouldn't feel great about. We shouldn't feel a lot great about the connection America has to Romania, which certainly has a very, you know, dark, you know, a very dark 20th century. But in any case, yeah. So highly recommended it, recommended it. bad luck banging your loony porn. Just be careful. Don't watch it with the kids. You know, this is, this is for adults only. I cannot, I cannot emphasize that enough. Uh, Keith, what is your number two?
2: Number two is Pig, which we mentioned before, and and Tasha mentioned the director's name, uh, Michael Cernoski. This is his first feature. It's 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 co-written by Vanessa Block, who is also a producer. So I, I I don't know if that's a continuing creative partnership or not, but I, I definitely will look forward to whatever they do together or apart. Um, I mean, we've we've kind of covered it a lot already, but I will say, you know, I have watched every Nicolas Cage movie, and, and this was kind of as I was wrapping up the book. I got a chance to see this a little early and I felt like, well, either my book is unnecessary or this validates my whole argument because this is performance is astonishing. And, And like, yes, there are plenty of big, Nicolas Cage performances and movies that maybe well, that's the only thing of, of of interest in them. This this is not one of them. this. is a very small Nicholas Cage performance. It's very uh, tight and naturalistic, which he's he's it's a it's a style he's gone back to a few times, and it's, it's definitely it's a style you see in Birdie, it's a style you see in Joe, it's a style you see in this, and it and it is just so well suited to the film. Uh, he I can't really imagine anyone else doing this. There's some some you know interesting kind of. Parallels to his own career in in the in the in the course that his character takes in this as well, but I mean all those big moments that you talk about the speech to the restaurateur, um, the climactic scene uh, are just astonishingly good. I, I was I was really deeply moved by the, by this film, and it's got little some slight bits of humor in it too. Uh, I mean this is definitely. An actor in full control of his craft, doing one of his best performances, and a and, uh, really exciting uh, uh, new voice in terms of, uh, of filmmaking. And it, what is your uh, number two? Number two is an important one. It's, it's the second best film of the year, Tasha. What do what, what you got?
0: Uh, what I got is another movie that we talked about um, pretty extensively on the podcast. It's summer of soul or when the revolution could not be televised. Uh, the quest love movie about the Harlem cultural festival, um, which happened the same year as Woodstock. We talked a great deal, I think in the, on the podcast about some of the flaws of the approach in not just letting the music play out and rewatching this uh, like chunks of this with my mom. I started to come around a little bit more on the approach, especially, you know, understanding that 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 footage is actually out there for for people to watch the idea of contextualizing a little more and particularly just watching the transitions between people in the 1960s and their modern day selves commenting on who they were back then what their experiences were like looking back on on those times with like older and wiser voices and and thoughts um, It's pretty mesmerizing, but then at the same time, you just, you get these indelible performances by Nina Simone and Mahalia Jackson and a shockingly young Stevie Wonder and Gladys Knight and the Pips and Sly and the Family Stone and the Fifth Dimension. All of these performances that just feel like they should be, you know, in, indelible in the same way the musical performances in Woodstock are indelible. We should have seen them as many times as we've seen those performances by now. We should have them, you know, almost beat for beat memorized in the same sort of way. But so much of this footage went largely unseen for so long. So, I ended up thinking that what Questlove accomplishes with this movie, just in terms of not just presenting so much of these performances, like, again, in a way that, that people can actually see and access them, but letting people... Kind of look at where they were then and where they are now and, and what it says about, about race relations, about how they see their own identities and how that's changed, how they see themselves as musicians and how that's changed, how they see the culture and the, the presentation of Black music and how that's changed. It's such a rich project. There's just so much to it. And it just it's the only documentary on my top 10 list, list this year, which is more a failing of my documentary watching habits than a failure of 2021 documentaries. But it just still seems so vital, so important, so significant, and just also so compulsively watchable. So yeah, number two for me, Summer of Soul.
2: Yeah, I I was so close to making my top ten. I really do love it. Uh, I make this list tomorrow. Yeah. It might be on there too. It's certainly the it's the film that has the most rewatch value of anything I I saw this year. I still would love, as we talked about the, sh- the show. I, I lament the passing of like three disc DVD versions that have like full performances on them. But uh, but I do love the film we got.
1: And actually, it is the the one. Time I I did not want to see uh, that I wish Lin Manuel Miranda wasn't involved in something <laughs> i was like that's this so you know a year when he was sneakily everywhere and quite quite great I, I could have done without him in the movie but I I do I do like the movie quite a bit as well
0: yeah he's definitely an anomaly in this film uh, Scott I have a pretty good idea of what your number one is based on things you've uh, already said and process of elimination but uh, we're go- we're going to pretend to be very very surprised. This is it for all the marbles, Scott bias okay. What is your number one movie of twenty twenty one?
1: Yeah, so so uh, yeah, it, it was the year of Hamaguchi, as I said in the last podcast, uh, which would be a weird thing to say. That, you know, if I only had one of his films at number seven, <laughs> uh, but I have a film of his at number one as well. So in addition to Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy being excellent, uh, Drive My Car, uh, that's my favorite movie of the year, and it's just I, I don't know what to say. It's just, it's a massive achievement it's it's a very rich text uh, Keith got into it in a lot of detail and what he was saying I could get into some more things that I liked about it you know particularly as a story about grief this theater director character who whose methods I think and ways of doing things surely echo you know, Hamaguchi in some extremely personal way, you know, he's also grieving his wife and who is also a creative person. And, and they had a complex relationship to, to put it mildly. Again, I, I kind of don't want to get into D de- to, to too much detail about it because the way that he processes that loss in the way that he contends with her complexity as a person, the things that he doesn't know about her or understands about her it's incredible to, to see um, and with his driver you get a piece of her life as well and you get a piece about you get pieces about Hiroshima you get pieces about other collaborators in his cast I mean there's this whole scene involving two supporting players really in the play and in the movie that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole whole film it's just a it's just a little bit part it's just a little one one part one strand of many in this story so uh uh, yeah drive my car you know i've only seen it the one time um it's a film i expect to revisit multiple times and i and i just think it's going to be with us forever it's just it's a huge achievement and just kind of catching up with some of his other work as well like asako one, one and two you know he's a really some significant director and you uh, kind of another little shout out here. You know this is a, a, a Murakami adaptation. It's kind of weird to me that that two Murakami you know short stories I guess or novellas or something have been turned into very long <laughs> brilliant films. Uh, this one in Burning, I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Like Murakami is a really hard person to try to adapt, uh, and it's strange that the secret to adapting his work is to making something short of his incredibly long <laughs> but that's the secret he's a
0: very dense writer there's a lot to unpack
1: maybe the, there you go maybe that's it so uh, uh anyway drive my car that's my number one film of the year uh it's keith's number three of the year but what's keith's number one of the, f- the year that's what i'm wondering
0: We'll find out in one second, but first I want to say uh, the two of you are not doing a very good job of making me feel good about my inability to finish uh, Drive My Car today. I, I'm <laughs> i really regretting more and more uh, Night Car Gas, I shake my fist at you. Just think of it as a three-part
2: Netflix miniseries and you just watch an hour each day and uh, it'll work
0: fine. It, right, right the, Scott? I mean, it definitely intended. was not a... Uh, <laughs> I, I, it was not that I was finding it tedious. I was just repeatedly interrupted. No, I just, no, just want verify that. but I'm very much both oh, looking no. forward to catching up with it and feeling guilty about uh watching a watching a different movie today first instead, even though that movie was also a very important one to watch.
2: I watch so many movies piecemeal and I hate I kind of hate doing it, but sometimes it's either you I watch this in forty five minute bursts or I don't watch it at all. so <laughs> Whatever it takes to watch the movie, watch you and do it. I, I say. Uh, so my number one is a film we have not talked about at all, and unless it's ta- also Tasha's number one, it's uh, kind of baffling to me. It's not at least somewhere on someone else's top ten list. And I don't even have to talk about it that much because we just talked about it. It's The Power of the Dog. The the Gene Campion's uh, return to filmmaking. A very uh, another another dense text. Another film that I found uh, was really uh, useful to talk over with my my podcasting pals because there's so much going on uh in in, the, in that film uh it's such a campion film you know you, you feel that but it's also it's 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 got a freshness to it as, as well like i mean you know who saw all that Benedict Cumberbatch performance coming um you know I think perhaps more predictable is that Kirsten Dunst was once again really excellent in this film but uh uh I don't know there's it's it's a, it's, it's a film that's really lingering with me uh and and uh yeah and, and that is that is also something you can watch now on Netflix if you if you want to forever um, you
1: can watch it forever it's just gonna be it's just gonna live there
2: I guess so. I'm glad I saw it in a theater though. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's quite, it's quite gorgeous to look at. So Mm -hmm. buy a very big television and watch it.
0: That's, that's my advice.
1: Uh, we don't even know what Tasha thought of it because she wasn't on our podcast. You do know what I thought of it.
0: You do now know that that was the film that I watched today, uh, trying to fit it in mm-hmm. under the wire. And it kind of seems like maybe I should have watched Drive My Car instead. Uh, I found it very powerful, um, very, very mm-hmm. moving and well-assembled and uh, just beautifully shot. Other films ended up edging it out just in terms of my excitement over some of the newer things they were doing. Um, Power of the Dog to me feels apart from certain heavily buried subtext, but uh, there's still very clear subtext. It feels like a very classic movie in some ways. It feels like a recontextualization of certain themes out of Westerns kind of uh, updated for, for the present day in some ways that I think are, are pretty intelligent and the performances are really quite tremendous. In the end, it just it just isn't in my top 10, but uh, we, I was certainly going to bring it up in, in honorable mentions. I liked it quite a bit. I'm looking forward to listening to y'all's discussion on it, but it is not my number one of the year. My number one of the year is, in fact, something that has already been mentioned on the show, which is uh, David Lowery's The Green Knight. This movie is just precisely my jam. You know, it's a heady, uh, dark, deeply gorgeous reimagining of a familiar story in an entirely new way. It's elusive and elusive. It's kind of like experiencing a nightmare, you know, the with the, the heavy foreboding feeling that hangs over it and the kind of recondite symbolism that goes into it. I love Dev Patel in the movie. I love the the performances. I love the construction. I've loved the process of, like, I personally interviewed the cinematographer who told me a lot of things I had not noticed about that film. I have read a lot of interviews about unpacking the symbolism and the ideas in that film. He's kind of the anti-David Lynch in his habit of putting kind of Dark, nightmarish visions on screen, but then being willing to tell you exactly how he arrived at them and what he means for them to say, and uh, whether that approach floats your boat or not, you can you can take or leave. Certainly, entire papers could be written on which of these approaches is more conducive to uh, people appreciating your films. Maybe people appreciating your films more as mysteries, maybe people appreciating your films more as things they can understand one way or the other. I just I loved every minute of this movie. I loved the sensation of it washing over me in the theater. And it was it was the best time I had in a maybe the second best time I had in a theater all year. Um, I think Scott said his number nine movie of the year was the best time he had in a theater. There was one that might rival it that we'll talk about in a minute in honorable mentions. But just in terms of feeling intensely glad to be back in a movie theater again and having something wrapped around you, having a movie wrapped around you like a a thick, warm blanket, that was my Green night experience. And I love this movie. It's my number one of the year.
1: Yeah, it was a real good big screen experience. I saw it, I think, front row or close to the front at uh, Music Box. And um, yeah, and just, it'd be a hard for me to imagine it having the same impact at home. It was very, it's very immersive. And it's kind of, kind of the one, I mean, I like, I tend to like everything of his, David Lowry's, uh, but um, this feels like his biggest swing and uh maybe his best movie i think um so yeah I, it, it didn't make my list but uh many there are many honorable mentions there are we'll
0: indeed discover. many honorable mentions we're gonna take a breath here take a little break and then come back to talk about the movies that did not manage to squeak onto our lists and that we deeply regret because we love these movies too we love cinema, y'all. Um, we, we love a lot of movies, and we, we just couldn't fit them all onto the small, narrow platform of a, a top 10 format list. But we'll be back in just a second to talk about the movies that uh, we wish to mention in an honorable fashion. All right, guys. Uh, end of the podcast, end of the year. With it's time to to sweep everything up into a pile and uh, sweep it out the door in order to make room for the films of 2022. But before we do that, let's look at the the refuse, the detritus, the leftovers uh, piled up at the at the foot of your brutally carved out <laughs> top ten list. What are some of the films you regret not being able to to fit on the list that you want to recommend to people, Scott?
1: I feel bad calling the, these films detritus because they their films. They are films that I really <laughs> like, but uh, there's a lot of them. So so I'm going I'm to rattle through them. There is no particular order. It's not alphabetical. It's not by, you know, it's not chronological. Certainly, you know, it's not by preference. This is These are just titles of, of films that could have been on my top 10 list and might be in my top 10 list in the future. This, but weren't on my top 10 list today as I was making it. Uh, so here here we go. Uh, Bergman Island, which is on Keith's list. Uh, Quo Vadis Aida, which is on Tasha's list. Pa- <laughs> Passing, which was on Keith's list. West Side Story, was on, which was on Keith's list. Uh, Last Duel, which was on nobody's list, but which is a very, you know, one of Ridley Scott's uh, best recent films uh, and a real, a real conversation piece had people seen it, that that would've been nice. Uh, The French Dispatch, which is on on Tasha's list, uh, The Green Knight, which is very much high on Tasha's list. Uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, which I had a great time with. This is not a burial, it's a resurrection. The Power of the Dog, again, on the cusp, but didn't quite make the list. Woj uh, which is a, a, a documentary uh, I really loved. Another documentary I loved, Procession, uh, didn't quite make the list, but it is very, very good. Uh, Dune, I think, is, is, I guess, looks like the best major studio film of the year. Yeah, hmm. absolutely. Ooh, West, is it? Story. It's, it's oh, West Side Story. Oh, West Side Story, sure. Yeah. yeah, I'd put Dune ahead of it. So, so Dune... I love Doom, The Lost Daughter, and Annette. So those would be those would be my all honorable mentions. Quite honorable, and uh, (laughs) so I'm mentioning them. Keith, what about your honorable mentions?
2: I'm gonna rattle to um, stopping every once in a while. Um, Annette, come on, come on. Uh, which I don't think anyone else I, I seem to fall through the cracks. I like that one though. Uh, Barb and Star Go to Vista Velmar Mar is probably the most time I, ha- most fun I had watching a movie this year, except for <laughs> Malignant, which was absolutely the most fun I had watching a movie this year. Uh, I really like Shiva Baby, which we covered. Uh, oh, Shiva K- Baby!
1: God damn! Yeah. It. Yes, of course. I'm putting it's, that yeah, on. I'm putting on the list now
2: okay uh, the card counter uh, the Velvet Underground Todd Haynes' documentary about the Velvet Underground is, is good uh, 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 quite good uh, the French Dispatch yes I liked it too uh, the last duel Red Rocket Summer of Soul Dune a few The uh, deserve a little pause for a little bit uh, one that was kind of under the radar I saw it on um, I think I was reading Alex Dowd's at the AV Club's list it's Z- Disciple uh, Indian film by uh, Chaitanya Tamhani about any someone who dedicates his life to performing Indian classical music and perhaps Starts to wonder why, uh, and uh, it's 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 uh, it's it's really good. That one's on Netflix. Flee, uh, the documentary, uh, the animated documentary about uh, the experiences of someone who has fled Afghanistan as, as a as a young person, uh, is really terrific. I don't think that one's that one's kind of just coming out into the world now. But seek that one out. And the other one that was like, like sort of between the cracks one that's not out yet is the worst person in the, in the world, uh, which which I in some quarters it's like sort of being hailed as a uh, instant classic best of the year it's not, not quite there with it yet but i do really like that film um perhaps we'll talk about it on the show a little bit uh a little bit later uh that is i could i could keep going i've got more but but i'll, I'll oh yeah one more st, st. maud uh and benedetta uh, benedetta the oh, yeah. film yeah. so yeah all right. Well, I'll stop. There's more, but I'll stop. <laughs> Tasha, how about you?
0: Wow. I kept my list uh, a lot tighter than y'all's. So while d- many of the ones that you've mentioned, I-, I saw and liked, I put these to a higher bar, which is to say they probably would be the the next 10. Um, I also have West Side Story and Power of the Dog and Dune on the the short list but uh looking at things that other people did not mention Zola I thought was a tremendous not only a tremendous hoot but just very daring in terms of what it puts on the screen and how it puts it on the screen also just really fun really enjoyable in the heights was the previously teased most fun i had at a, a movie theater this year granted i didn't spend nearly enough time in movie theaters this year i watched a lot of movies at home but in the heights was the first movie i saw coming back from the the long, dry, pandemic-induced not being in theaters. And it's so big and bright and sunny and joyous and ambitious and just throwing everything up on the screen. And once again, Lin-Manuel Miranda's incredibly intense and complicated lyrical storytelling. That movie is just a joy. And watching it, I thought, this may be my number one movie for the year. And it only got edged out because there were so many other uh, big, awesome musicals this year. But it's just, uh, it's fun and uh, heartening. You know, what's not heartening is Fran Cran's uh, directorial debut, Mass, which is a forehander in a small room between people with uh, insoluble problems with each other stemming from a school shooting. It could well be a play, could well be a stage play both in terms of the scale and in terms of the structure, but it's really thoughtful and moving and by God, the performances are amazing. And it deals with some extremely difficult issues in an extremely thoughtful and, uh, and caring kind of way. And, It kind of flew under the radar because it's a a hard sell, you know, a quiet drama (laughs) in which nothing much happens and just people talk about a a horrible, horrible issue. It's hard to get butts in seats for that one. But, uh, man, it's a a really impressively constructed thing. Bo Burnham's Inside is Mm. something that someone insisted be on our Polygon top movies of the year. And for me it kind of stretched the definition a little of what a movie is. It's a collection of Bo Burnham's kind of like thoughts and songs and and skits and sketches and dribs and drabs and bits and pieces from his quarantine production. It's a really terrifying portrait of what it feels like to be isolated for a year and kind of stuck inside your own brain, rattling around, trying to produce and create when you're a person who's used to interacting with people a lot more. But I feel it's not only incredibly compelling um, and full of just really, really memorable and and catchy songs and, and bits and thoughts. It's also a really accurate, like, portrayal of of quarantine. It's just holding the mirror up to all of us, and uh, in a terrifying kind of way. Jill Cohen's tragedy of Macbeth, a really, really interesting movie that we might get into more later. Lamb, the I'm looking for a noun here, maybe looking for an adjective. Modern folktale. The modern folktale. Thank you, Keith Phipps. Uh, that is, that's very helpful. The, the very strange modern folktale about a little sheep girl and what the impact of uh, her arrival on a pair of very isolated parents is certainly a fascinating movie. And finally, I'm just going to give a shout out to the documentary Street Gang, how we got to Sesame Street, which is a just fascinating look behind the scenes at what it took to create Sesame Street. There's a ton of history there that I was not aware of. I thought I knew where Sesame Street came from, and I learned a great deal that I did not know previously. For people who grew up on that show, it's really aimed at us more than it's aimed at uh, younger viewers because it kind of taps into a nostalgia And then explains the people who were responsible for creating that nostalgia, what they were trying to do and how they got there, the compromises they uh, made along the way, the societal impact they uh, generated, the backlash they faced, and a whole lot more. So yeah, Street Gang, how we got to Sesame Street, I think one of the most fascinating documentaries of the year. So I'm going to leave it at that rather than listing 47 more films, because I feel like we should probably wrap this up. Once again, we welcome uh, input from all y'all out there listening as to what was your best film of the year? What, what do you think uh, we left out? What do you think we put on our list but didn't put high enough on our list? If you want to leave a short voicemail at 773-234-9730 or email us at comments at nestpictureshow.net, we would be happy to hear uh, what you think we left off and should um, wave our mea culpa flags for. But for now, we're going to put a big bow on 2021 and uh, call that the end of the year. And by the end of the year, I mean, we're going to immediately go back and watch some more movies that we uh, haven't watched, (laughs) The, the reveal- Top ten list might be a more final top ten list for you guys as you continue evaluating. Uh, when exactly is that coming out?
1: It, you're already—they've already, they've oh already gosh, read it. Who knows? <laughs>
0: <laughs> early so, early
1: January. Yeah, they've already read it. It's it's already happened. This this is the second part of the podcast. It's already—they've already—they've read it. They've gotten their friends to subscribe to it maybe consider a paid subscription. They've done all kinds of things <laughs> since uh, <laughs> the, the, this has already happened. So this will be a all record right. of again, a record of what happened, of uh, what how we felt the day uh, we recorded this, which is before we write about the films we, we, we like for the reveal, but there'll be similarities, no, a lot of crossover. I
0: think, I think it's funny that you have both sort of uh, been bl- giving people a, a peek behind the, the scenario of, we are all very decisive people who have definitively uh, put out the objective best movies um, of 2021 and uh, have revealed that it's all, it's all kind of moods and modes, and it does sort of shift over time. But if it shifts in any meaningful way, uh, we'll let you know. And until then, we'll be right back after this to sign off for the year. So that's it for the top 10 edition of the next picture show. And for y'all, it's January for us. We're just wrapping up the late cold final days of December. We'll be back soon to let you know what we're doing next. And we're talking about possibly some format shifts for the new year. We're talking about uh, how to freshen up our scripts a little bit. And uh, as we go into that, it's going to push us uh, towards some decisions about what we actually want to cover next. Until that happens, we'd love to hear your feedback on this week's discussion and last week's discussion of the best movies of 2021. Once again, you can leave a short voicemail at 773-234-9730 or email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net. In the meantime, before we close out, where can we find everyone these days? Keith?
2: Uh, I'm a freelance writer. You can find me on Twitter at KFIP3000. You can find a lot of what I do at at a newsletter called The Reveal. I do with with Mr. Scott Tobias. It's thereveal.substack.com. You can find uh, my writing in places like the GQ, The Ringer, Vulture, TV Guide. Yeah, that's it. Scott, how about you?
1: Uh, Yeah, and um, you can find me on Twitter at Scott underscore Tobias. Uh, Of course, The Reveal takes up the majority of my time, but, but I also do work for Vulture, New York Times, uh, uh, The Guardian, and other fine publications. Uh, Tasha, what about you?
0: I am the film and streaming editor at Polygon.com. You can find my writing and curating about uh, movies there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tasha Robinson. Our absent producer, Genevieve Kosky, is on Twitter at Genevieve Kosky, very occasionally. And she is the TV editor at Vulture. You can stay updated on The Next Picture Show by visiting nextpictureshow.net and via Twitter at nextpicturepod. You can contribute to our Patreon and get bonus content at patreon.com slash show. If you haven't subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts already, please consider it and please consider rating and reviewing us, which will help other people find your favorite movie podcast. Thanks to Dan the Big Jakes for his assistance in producing this podcast. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the film spotting family of podcasts. Please tune in next time.
2: Okay, so we're doing this. Number nine. Look them in the eye, ain't no higher. Summon all the coverage
0: you require. Count One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Number ten, ten. cases. Fire.